We're going to continue our journey through the spiritual warfare. And so if you take your Bibles and once again, let's go back to Ephesians chapter number six. And on Sunday night, I introduced the, the matter of the armor. And we want to park on that first bit of armor here tonight in Ephesians chapter number six and verse number 14. I'll um, invite us to stand here together. Ephesians six and verse 14. We'll look at this one verse. I'll go ahead and let you stretch because you're going to be sitting for quite some time here. No, not necessarily. All right, I want to make sure the pages got there. Notice verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Tonight I want us to focus on that very matter of the belt of truth. The belt of truth. We're starting this series on Sunday morning, avoiding confusion. We're living in a confused society. But if there's a group of people that should not be so confused, it ought to be God's people. Especially if we walk in the light as He's in the light. And so we want to understand how we can begin this process of avoiding confusion. And it has everything to do with the belt of truth. Thank you. Please be seated. Let's take a brief refresher before we begin looking at this particular armor. Remember Paul's talking about this matter of standing. And in order to stand... He says it three times, we have to be properly clothed. We've got to be dressed for Bible success. Why is he so concerned that we know what we need to wear? Well, because he realizes what we often minimize, and that is we are in a battle. We're in a real battle. Not only that, but this battle is fundamentally not against flesh and blood. People are not your ultimate problem. People are merely conduits for something else that's operating in the invisible realm. People and even your own flesh are merely hosts for the invisible conflict to manifest itself in the physical realm. See, that's why when, you're, when you live for self, you're living for the conduit rather than the creator. And when we understand that everything that's taking place here, like we started this series out, is a chess game. And there's a greater influence taking place in the invisible. So everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. If your goal is to address some kind of stronghold or conflict or trial, or visible, physical element in your life, then you first need to address its invisible and its spiritual antecedent. You have to investigate that which has come before it because that's the root cause. What we see, hear, taste, touch, smell, that's all the fruit. But it's not the root of the battle. We cannot ignore the fruit. We cannot ignore what we do see in the problems there, but we cannot focus 
so heavily on managing or attempting to overcome those problems that we ignore the root or the antecedent. That's why people live in bitterness. Because they get hung up only on the problems and not the source. They get hung up on the physical and the visible and they don't get to the primary place that targets this. Many of the issues we must deal with in our lives come to us as flesh and blood situations. What happens is we use up considerable amount of energy trying to overcome them, trying to solve them. We spend large amount of our time attempting to use physical means to fix spiritual problems. So the primary focal point of our battle, it's not down here. It's up there. That's why the emphasis must be in our life on prayer. When we fail to realize this, we're going to end up frustrated. We're going to end up hopeless. We will end up defeated. It's not until we discover that our journey on this earth is right in the heart of spiritual warfare, which originates in another realm, not in the physical. And until we realize that we're never going to learn to dress for spiritual success, and we're going to stay defeated. We're going to live below the inheritance that God has provided for us. Now, remember, Jesus has already accomplished this victory. He's accomplished it for us. And that's why Paul says, and we mentioned this Sunday night, that's why he says, stand three different times. Stand, stand firm in the truth that God has given to us. Why? Because God has already brought about the victory. And when we're not standing, we're losing ground. He doesn't want us to lose that ground. God longs for us to believe and live in the obedience to his words because we choose to, not because we have to. And if we run away from our nearness to the Lord Jesus, you're running away from victory. You're running away from success. You're running away from blessing. But when you stand firm in your heavenly location, in your heavenly position, then you'll be able to utilize the full armor. Remember he says, put on twice, put on the whole armor of God. You, you can't go through the Bible without seeing, if you're going to be an honest student of the Bible, you don't go through the Bible without seeing God is still all about this matter of all in. It's the whole armor of God. And it's not until you recognize my battle ultimately is in the spiritual realm and my relationship with Jesus is the key factor. Not until then will we be able to fully suit ourselves with God's successful, victorious armor. And the first piece of this wardrobe is the belt of truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. And we introduced this Sunday night. So tonight I want you to see a few things. Number one, putting on the belt. We've mentioned biblical times that the Roman soldiers, they would gird their loins. The loins would be that of their... their uh, uh, their legs. And so Paul here is uh, talking about fastening a belt around their midsection. He's not talking about ordinary belts or ordinary colors of belts or designs of belts. I mean, he's talking about belts that, that have a specific purpose, one of which is it connects other weapons. 
They would maybe place their other armor on these on this belt. They would hang a sword, maybe even a smaller dagger. But it's connecting other weapons. And so these other weapons that Paul is going to mention, it, it's connected to truth, the belt of truth. You, you can't utilize the other armor if there's not truth. But another purpose of this belt is to increase mobility. See, remember you've seen pictures in Bible times of, of these men uh, who would have a longer robe and you even would see it to, still today if you see it on TV in the, in the Middle Eastern culture. And when they go to fight, they're going to take that, that longer uh, garment and they're going to pull it up and they're going to tuck it into that belt that's girding their loins. And so it's increasing their mobility. They, they don't want to get tripped over, over uh, their garment. And um, so it's connecting other weapons. It's increasing their mobility. This is this, this belt of truth. But there's another purpose for it. And that is it stabilizes things in life. See, when you or I wear a belt today, we put it on for a few fundamental purposes and they may differ. One reason we put it on is to hold up our pants. Half of society hasn't figured that one out. But another purpose is that it keeps our shirts tucked in. Maybe another purpose is that it offers some decorative appeal. But Paul's telling us in Ephesians that the belt of truth is designed to stabilize things by keeping them in their proper order. See, Satan is a master at twisting of truth. And like a magician at a stage show, he's distorting reality. He's altering it into any number of shapes and forms. John 8:44. It tells us what we're up against when we face him. It says of Satan that he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is, say the next words, no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. See, everything about Satan is a lie and he uses his lies to create chaos and disorder, moving things out of alignment in our lives. However, everything about God is true. Everything. Let me give you some verses. You may want to write these down, though uh, Brother Cherry will have them up on the screen. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, <clears throat> confirmed it by an oath. I love this that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Here's another one, Titus chapter one and verse two. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Here's numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? First Samuel 15 and verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. See, when a believer 
understands the objective nature of God's truth and we operate in that understanding, all the other areas of our life are stabilized. It just brings stability. That's why Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now I often hear Christians quoting this verse and frequently they're emphasizing that the truth will make you free. But I think we're missing the primary emphasis of this verse. And of course, it's whatever, it it goes together, but that's a good part to emphasize, but it's a, it's avoided reality until the other fact becomes reality. And that is the factual reality of truth doesn't free anybody. If it did, we'd all be free because truth exists, whether we want it to or not, it's all about us. Truth is truth, whether we recognize it or not. And we're not free just because of the existence or the factual understanding of truth. So in John 8, 32, it is, if you will know the truth, the word know there is that gnosko experiential knowledge. If you will experience the truth, that truth that you experience, that truth that you will trust and obey, that truth will liberate you and make you free. And since God is the only one who cannot lie, he's the only one who lives and exists in the state of absolute truth. He's the source of our freedom. He's the source of our stability. He's the source of our victory. Feelings cannot be our standard. Feelings are important, but they're not always true. Our feelings must always be brought in line with God's truth or they're going to guide us down a very unstable path. In fact, Christ goes so far as to say in John 17, verse 17, we are to be sanctified in the truth. To be sanctified means to be set apart and holy. We're to be unique in our responses. We're to be unique in our thoughts and our decisions in our relationships. Unique, not like that of the world. Why? Because we are battling in the spiritual realm and we ought to be separated unto truth and truth liberates. Listen, there's no reason to fear a word from God. Anytime somebody says, well, I know the Bible says I ought to tithe. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. You're in unbelief. You are insulting God. The devil's a liar. Why are you siding with him? God is true. There's never a reason to fear a word from God. His word exposes our sin. It reveals our bondage. And those who are enslaved by sin need to experience God's truth and be liberated from the grip of sin. That's putting on the belt of truth. We need it. But number two tonight, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate asked that question 2,000 years ago. And people everywhere today, they're still asking the same question. We live in an age where relativism, it permeates our culture. And it results in My truth may not be your truth, and your truth may not be your neighbor's truth, and it leaves us in a state of constant flux because there's no overarching, there's no guiding truth to which we all subscribe. 
It's similar to the situation, Judges 21, 25, where it says, in those days there was no king and every man did that which is right in their own eyes. You say, well, that sounds kind of good. Well, how did it turn out for them? They lived in, God's people lived in severe defeat. Their culture entered into destructive behavior, including rape and violence and bloodshed. Why? Because everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. But truth cannot be defined by the individuals who have been created because individuals are finite beings. We have limited knowledge. In fact, Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, we have deceitful hearts. And we don't entirely fully even know our own hearts. That's why David didn't pray, search me, O David. He had to pray, search me, O God. See, only the creator of truth himself can define truth because he's the only one who knows and understands the truth. Truth is fundamentally God-based knowledge. It's God-based knowledge. Truth at its core is God's view of a matter. God has an opinion about everything. It's our responsibility to seek it out. And what we like to do is we like to just wade on in and get on in if it seems to be good for us and we just attach God's blessing to us. He hasn't struck us by lightning, so therefore it must be okay. No, truth is God-based knowledge. And at its very core, truth is God's view of a matter. Truth is powerful enough to stabilize your life. Truth is brings clarity. Truth provides victory. But the absence of truth, it leads to confusion and defeat. So some things about this matter of truth. Truth includes God's original intent. What was God's original intent? The first principle of truth is that though it is comprised of information... And it's made up of facts. It also includes God's original intent, making it the absolute objective standard by which reality is actually measured. That's our measuring rod. This reminds me of the, the man who came home and, and he brought 20 catfish home and told his wife, I caught 20 catfish. Now she was suspect and because he wasn't like Brother Randy and and she knew he didn't catch fish. And so she questioned him and he had to cough up the truth. And she said, how did you catch 20 catfish? And he said, I went down to the fish market and I asked the owner if he would throw 20 catfish at me and I called him. <laughs> you know, what he did was he gave the facts. But it wasn't the truth. He had cast the facts in such a way so as to hide the truth. Listen, truth always involves more than just facts. It also includes the intention behind the facts. That's why the scripture tells us that God desires truth, listen, in the inward part, not just on the outside. You say, where do you get that from? In David's revival, get right with God prayer of Psalm 51 and verse 6. David prayed, behold, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part 
Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. See, God wants truth to resonate in our innermost being because that's the core out of which our intentions flow into our actions. That's that transparency that we're talking about. That's what we were mentioning on Sunday, that this matter of transparency before God and before each other, it's truth. Where does that come from? It didn't come from a discipleship course. It comes from God, being around God, close to God, because that's who He is. The second thing about truth is that it's predetermined by God. See, truth is not on trial. An accountant, a psychologist, and a lawyer got together one day to discuss the nature of truth. The psychologist said, working with people, I've learned that truth is what you feel it to be. The accountant said, working with accountants, I've learned that truth is what you need it to be. And of course, the lawyer, Brother Thomas, said, working in the justice system, I've learned that truth is what you want it to be. You know, our world is in constant shifting of its analysis of truth. It's just the way it is. But that's why we're on sinking sand. That's why we're in such confusion in a mess. Truth is comprised of opinions, perceptions, and ideas. What was true yesterday seems to be rarely true today. It's been said that if you have a science book that is 10 years old, it is nine years outdated. Why? Because people's view of truth changes. And we've been told before that coffee's bad for you. Then the next week a new study comes out and says that coffee will actually save your life. <laughs> we've been told that eating eggs is a bad thing. Then we were told you need to eat 20 a day. And it's just whatever the study comes out. And new studies offer just like polls. Whatever poll somebody wants to get, you just say there was a poll given. You can say anything you want to. You can say there was a study done. You can say anything. That's kind of the way it goes because we don't seem to understand that truth is objective. Truth is predetermined. Truth is fixed. It cannot change with the latest fad. Truth is the standard by which all other things must conform because truth is reality in its original form. Meaning, one plus one equals, even homeschoolers, I think, got that one right. One plus one is always equal to. One plus one will always equal to. Even when I don't feel like it, one plus one equals two. And uh, even when I want it to, one plus one will never equal three. Even if I hope, believe, and name and claim that one plus one should equal three, one plus one will never equal three because the laws of mathematics are not adjustable. I have to adjust to the laws of mathematics rather than suppose that mathematics will adjust to me. When I pay the bills each month, I use an, an objective standard. At least I should. In counting the numbers, I'll be subtracting. If I don't, I'll have confusion and chaos in finances. See, truth cannot change simply because we want it to. That's why I've said from the very start nearly eight years ago that our loyalty must be to truth before tradition. Not all tradition is bad, but tradition is not absolute unless it's founded and immersed in truth. 
truth never adjusts itself to our feelings. When it comes to uh, things like time and health, we want to function by a standard of truth. How much more important it is to function by a standard of truth when it comes to facing the battle of the enemy, whose mission it is to destroy you with his lies. The devil doesn't want you to know the truth because the truth is the one thing that if you were to experience by trusting and obeying, it can set you free. Truth is a powerful reality predetermined by God. It sets the standard under which our thoughts and decisions must align. Here's another thing about truth. It's an internal reality. And this is important. It's an internal reality. This third principle of truth is that it must resonate internally in order to have any validity externally. What is true outside of us in our actions, decisions, and conversations and choices? It ought to be true inside because it's within our spirit that God relates to us. When Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman about knowing God in John chapter 4, it was Jesus who said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit, that's the inner man, and in truth. See, cultivating internal truth, what is that? It's being honest with who we are, our motives. It's being honest with who we are and our motives, our sins, our mistakes, our beliefs, our desires, our longings, our issues. And it's one of the essential steps to strapping on that belt of truth. See, God is... Not a God of pretense. He's a God of mercy. But he's not a God of pretense. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul tells us, We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. Remember our series we spent so much time in? Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, one of the primary places Satan seeks to distort truth is within our relationship with God. Because if he can distort our relationship with God, then he gets into that which you and I tend to focus more on. That's what we see, our relationship with others. So we're talking about our marriage journey and those getting on. We've got a number signed up wanting to get on in on this matter of making our marriages uh, better. And, and it's this matter of coming to the Lord and, and, and looking at him fully in his face and, and seeing truth and allowing truth to resonate within our lives in our inner man, being honest with him and transparent with our spouse. That's where transformation occurs. See, Satan's goal is to keep us veiled before God. He wants our relationship with God to be a charade, not a spiritual reality. That's why you have people asking, 
how's your quiet time? How's your, 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 your time with God coming? How's your I will statement coming along? How, how's your time walking with God? Well, I didn't do my devotion. You don't do God. You ought to be in his presence. And the fact that you are not, and, and what Satan wants to do is disrupt, disrupt that and then push you into making some of the biggest decisions that can alter the rest of your life and impact eternity. And you're doing it and not even spending time in the presence of the one who is truth. That's what Satan wants. That's what he's going after. Oh, you know truth. You can give a Bible lesson, you can lead somebody to Jesus, but it's not the fundamental knowing of truth, it's the experiential knowing, trusting, and obeying truth. And just as it is the whole armor, it's the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And that's where God so will help you. Let me tell you a secret. God already knows everything about you. Even with the charade you're playing with Him. He even knows the things you think you're hiding from him. You can't shock God. You can't surprise God. He already knows it all. Isaiah 46 verse 10. This is God, what God says of himself. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Everything you think you're hiding from God, oh, he already knows. It's like whenever I lied and forged my mom's name to my report card one day. I was really stunned she figured it out. I don't know why she would have ever suspected that mom at the signature would have been a problem. And the teacher figured it out. I was shocked there that they figured it out. It said your parent only had one parent and, and so I put the, the only legitimate name I knew, mom, in crayon on, on top of that. And I was stunned that they had conspired and figured out that my kindergarten report card was signed by me. You know, just as parents are smarter than a kindergarten, and God's smarter than his creation, he knows. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows all things. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. He even knows what you want to do that you don't do. He knows all of it. He knows you're not hiding anything from him. But when we pray superfluous prayers, spiritual sounding holy words, he knows. He knows what's real. Wearing the belt of truth means being real with God, being raw, unveiled before him. And when you get real with God, you're going to find it much easier to get real with yourself to get real with your parents, to get real with your spouse. You know, people can look fine on the outside. We have a whole group called Pharisees that looked really good on the outside. They can do good moral things, but God views more than just the outside. He views intimately, internally. What's more is he knows what we're up against within us. He knows what we face with others. Psalm 103 verse 14, he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows. 
He knows when you're struggling. He knows when you're hurting. He knows what you're desiring. He knows when you're failing. He knows that at times we actually doubt who he is or what he says. He knows. And since he already knows all of this, why would we try to camouflage? Why would we try to veil? That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 3. Why should we simply look the way religion says a Christian ought to look or pray? Why should we fall into the trap of religion and we hurt our relationship with him? Listen, if a person cannot be truthful with God who already knows the truth, then Satan has stripped you of that foundational piece of armor before the battle ever begins. Let me close with this third thought. I'm going to ask you a question. This will lead us into our invitation. What will your standard be? What will be your standard? What will you use to determine what you will experientially believe? Will it be your emotions? They fluctuate and change. Well, just pretend. Just pretend that, that uh, I say to you tonight, I'm going to give you $1 million. This isn't a good example because you put no confidence in that. But let's say it was somebody trustworthy. They say, I want to give you $1 million. And there'd be a twinge of emotion that would be exciting. But then they say, but it's really going to be just play money. And that could just change our emotion. Our emotion can change so fast depending upon circumstances. Feelings and emotions, oh, they're good indicators of something. They're terrible dictators. Stop listening to your emotions. Or your, will you let your intelligence be your standard? Now, some of you, you're stuck there and you're not going to be able to do much. But, but for some, you're smart, you have degrees, you have experience, you have common sense. And I admire you for your work in that area. You... you you're, you're brilliant, but are you infinite in your brilliance? No, of course not. None of us are. How many times have you learned something only to later find out new information and change your opinion about it? There's always new information and data, not new truth, but new information. And the simple fact is we, we don't know everything. What about your moral instincts? You're going to rely upon your moral instincts to determine what you believe to be true? Everyone has some kind of a moral compass. The question is, what will your standard be? Is it going to be your feelings? They will change constantly. Your intelligence, which is finite. Or your moral instincts, which differ from everybody else around us. Or will it be what God intends for it to be divine revelation. Knowing God, knowing His Word is the only way to know how to function with the belt of truth because only God can define what is entirely true. Now, much of the battle, much of our battle takes place, you say, up in the heavenlies. Well, that's true. We say that over and over and over. But much of the battle actually takes place between your two ears. What you think about God, what you think about what He says, 
the things you're struggling with, the things that you, uh, that, that make you feel defeated, the things that you think you cannot face, none of these are really the problem. The real problem is waged in our mind. What do you believe to be true about God and what he says? Our problems may show up in our feet, in our hands, in our eyes, in our heart, in our mouth, in our bedroom, workplace, hospital, computer, any other place. But the root problem is in our heart, what we believe to be true. Now, I'm going to disappoint some of you. I need to tell you, you cannot trust yourself. I'm sorry to have to admit it to you, but I can't trust myself either. Why? Because our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions, they've all been distorted. From the very time of our birth, they've been twisted. Have you ever been to an amusement park and seen where they've had these mirrors that, that make you distorted? They make you look fat, tall, short, skinny. Our souls have been distorted like these mirrors. And there's no way a person looking into a carnival mirror could accurately describe what that true person would look like. And many of us can, cannot accurately define truth when looking through the distorted mirror of our soul. We need to exchange our thoughts for God's truth. Well, how does it happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. It happens through the help of the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says on the screen. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The word here, the Greek word that Paul uses for searches, means to continually examine something. In this case, it's the Holy Spirit who is continually examining everything even the depths of God, the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say in verse number 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. See, it's through the work of the spirit that we gain the ability to know God and the truth that can give us the capacity to walk in victory day after day. But note that we gain the ability to know God. We gain this. The Holy Spirit never forces that to happen in our life. There must be a surrendered submission to the Spirit of God. This exchange, let me give you another, I think this is the last passage. You know this, but this is, this is key. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I quoted it earlier, but verses 3 through 5, this is ever so critical. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every Thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, in this passage, many things have been said, and you've heard great messages preached here, and this is a great passage. But in this passage, God reveals one of Satan's key strategies. Satan seeks to set up wrong thoughts, speculations that contradict God's truth. 
mentioned tithing earlier. earlier. That's got to be one of the simplest kindergarten level Christianity kinds of acts for a Christian to perform. But people have all kinds of hellish, devilish, abominable thoughts because they rise up against the character and truth of God. And the devil says, here, why don't you believe this one? You're not going to make it if you trust God. Oh, you're not going to be able to have your happy meal this week if you tithe. Oh, you won't be able to have movie money if you tithe and trust God. Satan seeks to set up anything that would contradict God. In fact, anything that inhibits, anything that distorts, anything that alters God's viewpoint on any matter is used by the enemy to defeat you. It could be something that seems as harmless as, well, I prayed about it, got mom and dad, their opinion, they're for it, and um, I'm going to set out and do it. But if it distorts God's truth, you got a problem. And the devil is the one who is laughing and cheering you on. It could be what your friends say. Well, the, the crowd, they believe. You know, there was a greater crowd that walked away from Jesus in John 6 than the ones who stayed with Jesus. Well, the majority of the people, they believe. Or how about the media? The media says, it could even be our own thoughts generated in our own distorted soul. Satan doesn't care if you mix some of God's truth with the rest of the truth. All he wants to do is twist so that what you believe will contradict who God is and what he says. 1994, I believe it was, um, Intel, they had a flaw in one of their chips. And the Pentium chip, I believe it was, was, was flawed. And it came to their, um, their knowledge, and it was so insignificant in their mind because they... they they realize it only affects in such high numbers and it will only affect someone once every 27,000 years. So they minimized it. And they continued to just double down on the fact we're not going to, we're not going to change everything. We, we've got a lot at stake. We've already rolled this out. And then news leaked out several months later and they continued to downplay. It's really not that significant. It's not that big a deal until IBM decided we're not selling any of our computers as long as that Pentium chip is in there. And Intel had such a marred reputation, not because they had a flaw in their chip, but because they tried to downplay it. And many of God's people have marred their testimony and have been stripped and defeated before your battle begins, not because you're flawed. We're all flawed. But rather than getting honest 
and humble and getting sick of the sin that you are coddling within your life rather than, than getting tired and frustrated with the sin in your life. You're getting more bothered with the one who is telling you God hates it. It put him on the cross. You should not be stomaching what Jesus bled for. Until you get humble and honest. And as long as you're saying it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal. What you're saying is Jesus, he's not that big a deal. And you, my friend, you're losing the battle. And you will not gain the blessing. Stand with me, please.